0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this episode, I cover a lot of Fallout news from this month's Windows updates, including an issue that prevents virtual machines from booting. Also, the US CISA and FBI have warned network administrators to immediately patch their Confluence servers, and an interesting security flaw has been reported in ChatGPT's latest feature. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. And that includes Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up, happy users, happy IT, and of course, also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use group policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage the lockdown applications, Java browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. As is always the case a week or two after Patch Tuesday, news of issues caused by the monthly updates has been trickling out. First, Martin Vaught shared that after installing October's patches, most of his virtual machines on his Server 2022 boxes won't start anymore. Others have pointed out that if you get into the operating system and uninstall KB5031364, the VMs will work again, and that's on server 2022. Others have reported the same problem on server 2019, and there's two uh, Windows updates that need to be uninstalled in 2019. It has been suggested the issue affects server 2022 VMs with Secure Boot enabled and has been reported by admins who work with Hyper-V and ESXi. So it does not appear to be tied to any one hypervisor. It simply seems to be an issue with the underlying OS on the machine that the hypervisor is on. There are some community contributed workarounds at the time of this recording, including a suggestion to remove the SATA controller from the VMs. This only works in some cases, though, as others have reported that VMs without SATA controllers still presented the problems. The surefire workaround at this moment in time is to simply uninstall the patches. This is obviously a pretty big issue. So hopefully Microsoft addresses this pretty quickly. Recently, HP have warned customers that if they install a cumulative Microsoft security update from July, 2023 or later, their computer may loop back continuously to a Sure Start Recovery error screen. The list of HP devices affected by this is way too long to cover. So I'll just share a link to the advisory with this episode and you can see if your HP device is affected. And this is episode 304, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com with this episode. For units vulnerable to this issue, HP has prepared updated BIOS versions to resolve the error. For affected units, all BIOS versions from late September 2023 and later will contain the resolution. The release notes for the initial fixed BIOS version will contain, quote, HP strongly recommends updating system BIOS to address a potential issue with HP SureStart that can cause some devices to enter into an unrecoverable state. Seems pretty wild to me that this is only now getting addressed if it has been an issue since July 2023, but this security advisory was only posted on the 9th of October, so I guess for some time this has been an issue and there hasn't been a BIOS update to address it until the end of september so again if you're patching this month and you're running into problems with your hp devices this could be why so you may want to update the bios on those hp devices before patching optlight who offer two-factor authentication for active directory posted a security advisory warning customers that the 2023 october cumulative update for microsoft server 2022 version 21 h h2 which is kb5 031364 makes changes in the kdcsvc.dll file on 2022 domain controllers that causes previous versions of AuthLite to break and prevent the domain controller from booting or authenticating users. So major issue. The recommendation is to install AuthLite version 2.4.14 or newer on your domain controllers to address the issue. And for customers using AuthLite version 2.5, you must install 2.54 or newer. If your domain controllers apply the update already and you can't log in, they say the simplest workaround is to mount the file system, the effective machine, and rename the file cwindows system32 to any other name. After this, the auth core will not load at next boot, and you should be able to boot and authenticate with your emergency break glass account at least at that point you can install version 2.4.14 or newer and reboot and everything should work as before which is interesting because that's instructions on how to get around the two-factor authentication i guess but i mean you do rely on that break glass account which hopefully you have if you are a customer and you're using op hopefully you have that break glass account otherwise i guess this one could be kind of hairy Microsoft have confirmed and fixed a known issue with KB5041356 for Windows 10 21H2 and Windows 10 22H2 where the patch would just fail to install. According to BleepyComputer.com, they reported that some of the most common errors being encountered was error 8007000D with parentheses error underscore invalid underscore data. The issue has been addressed via a known issue rollback. Now, there have been reports of some other issues related to this month's Windows updates in the patch management mail group, but I've not found widespread reports for all of these issues yet. So I'm just going to hold off from reporting about them until there's further confirmation. But I suspect that next week there's probably going to be more news on this podcast about some fallout from the Windows updates for October. Cisco recently disclosed a vulnerability in iOS devices that hit the maximum in severity score. So this is a big one. And it's not a surprise that it hits that maximum, as exploiting the vulnerability is possible without authentication and the fact that the devices live on the edge of the network. They're basically sitting ducks. BleepyComputer.com has reported that attackers have exploited CVE-2023-20198 to compromise and infect over 10,000 Cisco IOS devices with malicious implants. Volncheck stated, quote, if your organization uses an IOS system, it's imperative that you determine if your systems have been compromised and take appropriate action once implants have been discovered. While a patch is not yet available, you can protect your organizations by disabling the web interface and removing all management interfaces from the internet immediately. LeapyComputer.com also reported that there are more than 140,000 iOS devices found online. So if you're an iOS XE customer, patch immediately. The Hacker News reported on a hacking group exploiting a recently disclosed vulnerability in WinRAR as part of a phishing campaign designed to harvest credentials from compromised systems. The vulnerability of WinRAR is listed as CVE-2023-38831. And the attack uses a booby trap PDF file that, when clicked, causes a Windows Batch script to be executed, which launches PowerShell commands to open a reverse shell that gives the attacker remote access to the targeted host. Also deployed is a PowerShell script that steals data, including login credentials, from the Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge browsers. The captured information is exfiltrated via a legitimate web service webhook site. So I put it on Twitter, but I believe this is the third instance of a WinRAR vulnerability being leveraged or at least just WinRAR being leveraged for cyber attack campaigns. And just my own personal tip is, you know, if you're using something like WinRAR or maybe 7-zip, it could be a good idea to deploy those as isolated applications. So other users that are not entitled to the application or processes, be that like a cyber attack coming in. Uh, If they're not entitled to that application, it should be isolated away from them. Just make it that bit harder for cyber gangs to leverage these tools. And also obviously block downloads of applications and installation of applications for standard users. Well, I I could go on and on about security tips in general, but I won't, I'll spare you. In an update to a story I covered last week about a massive data breach of genealogy service 23andMe, it has been reported this week by BleepyComputer.com that data for 4.1 million customers has been leaked online. As you may recall, 23andMe stated this breach was made possible via a credential stuffing campaign, which essentially means a hacker used an account name or email address and password combination discovered in a different breach unrelated to 23andMe to gain access to a limited number of accounts. But the company says that while only a limited number of accounts were breached, those accounts had opted into the DNA relatives feature of the service, allowing the threat actor to scrape millions of individuals' data. Which I guess isn't great, but to be honest, this is data people were willing to share already, so maybe it's not the most intrusive, dangerous data breach in history. Uh, This is just information they would have been sharing to anyone that happened to be a match. But it would be interesting to see if this data is used and abused in any way. In another story that is an update to something I covered last week, a report from Mandiant suggests that the recently disclosed Citrix Netscaler vulnerability that had many poor Citrix admins working over the weekend doing patching has actually been exploited since August. Which means this is a good time for me to remind you once again that Mr. Popplegard's blog post covers what you should know about the vulnerabilities and how to patch the issues. Plus what to do if you are infected, which is quite possible now since people's Netscalers were exposed for months before the patch was made available. If you're a Citrix Netscaler admin and customer, good luck, I hope you were not breached. This week, the US CISA and FBI warned network administrators to immediately patch their Confluence servers against a maximum severity flaw actively exploited in attacks. The vulnerabilities tracked as c 2023 22515 and this is a privilege escalation flaw, which, affle- which affects Confluence data center and server version 8.0.0 and later, and is remotely exploitable in low-complexity attacks that don't require user interaction. The number of detected attacks on these vulnerable systems has been low so far, according to BleepingComputer.com, but it is expected to ramp up significantly. And, you know, U.S. government agencies are warning you to immediately patch against this. So, patch. In an update to another previous story covered on multiple episodes of the podcast, it appears one of the obstacles to Microsoft acquiring Activision has been removed. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority, or the CMA, has given Microsoft its approval to acquire Activision Blizzard, it follows concessions made by Microsoft to let Ubisoft buy cloud streaming rights to Activision instead of Microsoft for at least the next 15 years, according to a report by the SiliconRepublic.com. So what happens after that 15 years is up? I don't know. Do they have to reassess? And I mean, after that, the acquisition has already happened. So presumably they're free to do whatever the heck they want. I don't know. Kind of seems like a... Useless concession since it has a time limit, but whatever. Recently, ChatGPT got an update that you may have noticed if you use the service, because it constantly prompts you (laughs) when you go onto the page, Uh, but it now allows you to upload images as it can read the images you upload and describe what is in that image or what is happening in the image. Windowscentral.com covered the new feature called GPT 4 Vision, which can be combined by importing an image and still then inputting some text to GPT-4. Uh, but the report suggests if you give instructions in text, but the image itself also contains instructions in text within the image, then the service will do whatever the instruction is in the text within the image, rather than the inputted text within like the chat dialog. Windows Central had an interesting theory that if an image was uploaded to the service, perhaps containing malicious code and social engineering methods were used to get users to upload it through their browser to Bing Search or any other GPT-4 vision-enabled AI bot, the results could be less than ideal. They reported that Johan Rehberger has an example of getting GPT-4 to read an image that contained a speech bubble with instructions to upload previous conversations to a server under his control and successfully exfiltrated data through an exfiltration attack. So yeah, that's certainly an interesting angle, right? Because if this service is integrated and then widely available, then it seemingly could be very accessible to a cyber gang who are maybe using social engineering tactics to leverage for an attack. There's definitely going to be hoops for them to jump through to get to that point of the image actually being ingested and doing something. But at least for now, it seems like it's possible and there has been a working example provided by Johan. You can now submit a session for this year's festive tech calendar and the deadline is set as October 31st. They say they're looking for content from across the globe on any technical subject, but ask that you please try and have a festive theme for your contributions. So for example, last year I did a session on RPA where I had my robot actually processing Santa Claus's naughty and nice list and also taking the data uh, for what each child wanted and then updating it if a child was naughty to replace everything they asked for with like a lump of coal. (laughs) They say that they're also looking for deep technical content, and it can be a video or even a blog post, something actionable, so something attendees can do themselves, like a workshop or hackathon. And they're also looking for Ask Me Anything sessions. They say everyone who submits a session is guaranteed to be a part of this year's Festive Tech Calendar. So there is no approval process, it seems. If you submit an idea and you wanna do it, it will be accepted, so that's pretty cool. Finally in the news for this week, applications are now open for the Citrix CTP and CTA classes of 2024. So if you're contributing to the community in any way, apply for the program. It's a great group to be in and I'll share a link for you to apply with this episode. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. First up my buddy Ruben, has been sharing some three minute demo videos on YouTube for Frame. I know Ruben does um, some like kind of longer form workshops every few months, but if you don't have the time to spend on a kind of longer format like that, this could be a really good way to quickly learn more about Frame and also just learn some practical applications. Like I saw one of the videos was uh, creating the app registration for Frame. Well, if you've never actually created an app registration for an Azure AD integrated product, this is something that's useful to know because a lot of products actually require this as a prerequisite for integration. Another tip, I saw that the last tickets for E2EVC that will be taking place in November in Rome are on sale and available now. Uh, if you've never been to an e 2 e VC event, you're really missing out. It's an awesome community event, probably one of the best community events in my opinion. It's up there with the master's retreat, which is now going to be EUC Unplugged. So just a tip for those in the community. I feel like maybe there's not that many people going to events anymore, but maybe you could just be selective about what events you go to and make the time count. And if you do want to make your time count, I suggest you try out. E2EVC, and also EUC Unplugged. And you can get your tickets for those right now. Finally, a reminder that I am doing a giveaway, and it's very simple to enter. You just go to the link with this episode or go to 5 and you'll find it at the bottom of the episode guide. I've snuck it in there. I'm not promoting this on social media, so it's only for people who are genuinely uh, following and listening to the episodes of the podcast Uh, but all you have to do is give your name and verify that you're over 18 and you'll be entered into a draw that i'm going to do on october 31st on halloween and the winner will get a stream deck plus which is a cool stream deck that still allows you to program in buttons that is very handy but it also has some dials for uh, like audio input and stuff like that so very very cool device and i don't have one yet myself I would like to get one, and someone who enters is going to be lucky enough to get one for themselves. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.